This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm Adam Scalina, your sometimes host. And it's good to be back in the studio, Corey. How you doing? You look well-rested for a guy that apparently hasn't slept in a few days. Yeah, I'm going on no sleep, but I'll tell you, this coffee that you guys have here? Yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah, Phenomenal. here's what you do. You you put as double the scoops well, based on the cups. So like six cups, 12 scoops. <laughs> that's, that's the way. That's, that's the formula around here. Well, I was wondering yeah. how after that first cup of coffee, I felt like I needed to go for a run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. And I heard you just got back from Kelowna. You white knuckled the Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. There was some, there was some patches there where there was lots of snow, not snowing, but snow on the side. Right. I think it was probably like one or two degrees, winds howling, and the fog was so dense. I've never been anything as dense as that before. Like we're going about 30 with your, your hazards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 30 with your hazards right. on. And I'm thinking, my God, I got I got two kids I got to get home to. So this is the, the Coca-Cola is, I've had some of the scariest moments of my life on the Coca-Cola yeah. and I like seldom go to the Okanagan. Yeah. But it's just, if you're like, you're really gambling like with your life. If you go, you could be this, this time of year on yeah. like all, all winter is just, it just depends, but it, it can get, it can also be clear and then change on like a moment's notice. Yeah, totally. Well, if you stop sending me up to your investment house up there to rake the leaves, leaves yeah. and cut the grass, <laughs> yeah. I might be able to get through this winter here. Okay. Who do we have today on the show? We have a fantastic show today. We've got Max Sharon. He's the leading Head Energy. I want to make sure I get that right. Leading Ahead Energy. He's the founder and CEO. This is a company that is focused on sustainability. They're focused on EV charging for real estate, right? For multifamily and commercial real estate, which is super exciting because it piqued your interest because yeah. you're you're dealing with strip malls and all these buildings that have been around that now there's this opportunity for revenue through yeah. EV charging. Well, it's one thing too that we find that that's sort of crept into the conversation more and more over the past couple of years is when you especially get into these open air shopping centers where you've got retail that looks directly onto the parking lot. Right. Is tenants are asking now, is there EV charging stations in the center? If they are, where are they located? How close can I get to them? Yeah. And we talk a little bit about on the show there that there's a, a strip mall that I pass that didn't have a Tesla station in, in it before, now has a Tesla station. And the fat burger went from nobody <laughs> to everybody. Yeah. So it could be the Including number one Corey, fat. Right? Yeah, exactly. Without, yeah. I go to the fat burger without the Tesla. <laughs> I just park my car and eat the food anyways. <laughs> but it's amazing how much more that crept into conversations now. And also right. from landlords as well when they're looking to acquire stuff. So that's why we thought it'd be great to have Max on. Talk a little bit about where is this going? Because you're seeing more and more Teslas, the richest man in the world. As of the time we recorded this, is the man who founded Tesla. Right. So, you know, that's the direction it seems like we're going in. So he's great how he unpacks it. He lets us know a lot more about how it looks both from the consumer side, but also from the landlord side and sure. also the direction in which they want to go. I throw a couple of curveball questions in there thinking maybe I'm going to stump them, but he just breezed right over them. You know, and the other thing is, and no spoilers here, but at the end of the show, he actually adds a layer to the value add of of, yes, yeah. of electric charging stations at your business, which I had never considered, which I think actually is one of the most profound kind of components of this, well, right? I think there's two models. Like you can either sort of like lease land kind of to Tesla, which is right. my understanding is how they work. They come and they lease it and then they, they do all that stuff, pay the bills for their portion, or you can actually acquire the charging stations and generate revenue, not only off of the charging station, but three different ways. Yeah. Three different ways. And I think one Save way, and, one, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I think a uh, one way to that, that I think from a, a landlord perspective is you might see increased rent closer to those charging stations. So yeah. you, if you put them in an area, maybe that's not as busy in the shopping center, 
that could actually dramatically pick up that side of the area, which then could be reflected directly in the rents paid by those tenants. Right. Lots of great ways to sort of get into that business on the charging side of it. Maybe we'll wait for Max to explain it, but I love the first to market component because right now, if I have an, a, an electric vehicle and I'm going to a place to charge it, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do for however long it takes me to charge my car? And I'm thinking I'm going into whatever shop or restaurant or coffee shop that's immediately in front of me, right? And you would imagine that this could last a couple of years until, you know, all the new outfits get kind of uh, suited or, or until this gets solved at a better level than it is today. Well, we were joking about it just a few minutes ago, but that fat burger that I passed packed is it's literally always busy, it looks like. Yeah. So that could be a direct correlation of that Tesla charging station there where maybe they were doing decent numbers for that franchise, where yeah. now maybe they're doing above decent numbers or even be much better numbers than anticipated. Because you've got like 10 or 15 stations there, they're going to take a few minutes to charge. Let's right. go and have a milkshake. Let's have a quick bite to eat. Yeah. So, you mean, it can be a direct reflection on that, maybe that tenant's revenue that could be reflected again on the rents collected by the landlord at some point. Great for fat burger, horrible for our waistlines. But here's the thing. Before we get to this conversation with Max, there's one more thing I want to do. And I, I want to answer, there's been some listener questions I got an email last week yeah. from a listener who was kind of, they've been listening to the show. We talk a lot about different markets, different asset classes, yeah. and a different price points. Basically, what they're saying is they're trying to make sense of, you know, what asset class should I be going to? What what area do you, do you guys like? Like they're trying to maybe suss out a more specific approach into the market yeah. and where they where we're seeing the opportunity. So I want to get to that, but before I want to get to that, let's talk today sponsor. Our good friends over at Impact Commercial, Al and his team there for all your commercial lending needs with over 50 years of commercial lending experience. Reach out to them at impactcommercial.ca. And just reach out if you want to talk to a good guy. Because They're all Al's, great over there. Yeah. They're all great over there. There's great gang. Great guys, gang of people. Good guys. So that's fantastic, Corey. So first thing is three questions that come out of it. Number one is you're looking at a market right yeah. now and let's we, we talk about the BC market, so let's keep it refined within BC. Yeah. What market are you going into? Victoria. Victoria. Hands Victoria. down. Hands that down. That was quick. Hands down. I think we had Frank O'Brien on the show. Yeah. I mean, a very, very well. Business in Vancouver. Yeah, exactly. Well-known writer for real estate. And they just launched their five markets on there and they pegged Victoria's number one followed by Kelowna as number two. Why I would probably go to Victoria over Kelowna, I think, you know, Kelowna's obviously had a massive amount of growth yeah. and all that stuff. I think one thing too that's really attractive about Victoria is it's government anchored. And yeah. coming through this pandemic, you I mean, Kelowna probably does a lot of business based on the tourism sector and that will obviously come back really quickly. But Victoria's got government and they've got tech. And those are two areas that have gone through this pandemic without a blink and even grown on the tech side of it. So I really like that opportunity. And also with Victoria, they have a lot of similar challenges to we have in Vancouver where they're landlocked. Yeah. Right. They're, they got exactly. the water there and stuff. So it also feels like a real, like so I, I love Kelowna. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talk about Kelowna all the time. Kelowna sometimes feels like a town masquerading as a city, right? Where Victoria seems like a, it's a city, it's a proper 100%. city. And I feel like it's going to have legs for years to come. And I feel like the island overall yep. feels like a pretty secure, secure place to well, invest. If you, if you look at Victoria, you got government as your number one tenant, probably throughout the city, more or less. You've got the tech industry that's growing over there. You got UVic, which has seen massive growth. I think I read like almost 40% over the past six or seven Fantastic years. Fantastic school too. Yeah, you yeah. got so many companies coming to Victoria. So as these grads come out of UVic, they're not having to leave Victoria now. That's just adding more pressure to the housing crunch, which is landlocked like we just talked about. There's lots of great developments going on over in Victoria. The absorption of the product has been really, really good and probably outpaced what some developers maybe anticipated. Right. So I think if you think you're going to go lease your space there overnight like you do in Vancouver, that's not the market it is. But it's growing steadily you know, year over year. And over the past five years, has seen an increased uptick in those percentages that I think it's going to continue to grow. And I think we'll look back in that market, say, 10 years down the road and think, wow, they had a very similar growth to Vancouver on a smaller scale. But from a percentage standpoint, great returns for all those people who got involved. Number two question is, what asset class are you buying? That's a tough one. I, I almost, I, I, you're in all of them, right? Like you like, yeah, you, you know, like all of them. I, I like all of them. You know, I mean, naturally, right now, you'd say industrial. You know, when you'd say sure. industrial, you'd say multifamily, the beds and sheds concept. To be honest with you, I think if you look into the Victoria marketplace, I like the retail sector. And why I do is 
a lot of the retail in the downtown core is in heritage buildings that that limit the development potential. So you got markets like the Harris Green District, which is kind of my I would maybe relate it to in a Yale town that's emerging. Or you got the Old Town District where Reliance just came out with their massive plan, and right. you've got uh, Lefebvre and Company doing a lot of work down there. I think Nicola Wealth is involved in that marketplace. So you've got a lot of these markets that are growing that are within a stone's throw downtown. And when we come from Vancouver, Gastown to Yale Town, well, that's probably a good 20-minute, half-hour walk. You can do all of downtown Victoria in 10 minutes. So yeah. you mean, so if something on the outskirts of downtown isn't, you're not walking 20 city blocks, you're walking four city blocks to get to right. it or six city blocks to get to so, I really like those markets. And if you get on the outskirts of the downtown area, I like the retail sector there just because I think you're going to find there going to be very, very dense areas with limited retail opportunity. Interesting. And and each neighborhood has its own kind of distinct flavor as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like we, whenever we get people, often investors from Toronto, and we're driving around Vancouver and you drive across the street and you're like, now I'm downtown. Now I'm in Yaletown. Now I'm in Gastown. Now I'm in... <laughs> we're, a, we're a city that loves to name basically city blocks, neighborhoods, yeah. right? Yeah. There are sub areas. And I feel yeah. like Victoria's got that same kind of way of doing things. And it is. Never mind though. The, the fact of the matter is it's all great downtown, yeah. uh, downtown Victoria for sure. Now, price point, what, what do I need to play basically? How much do I need to play? Well, I think if you want to get in from like a retail investment standpoint, you're yeah. probably going to be looking close to that $700 a foot mark is where it's coming. And it's kind of gone from probably like fives and fours two, three years ago. So you can see the growth in the market. Industrial, what everyone seems to love, you know, you're, you're still probably in that low to high three, maybe creep into the four there. I love industrial. The only caveat I would say with the industrial market in there, as low as the vacancy rate is, is there's a lot under construction and proposed that's going to come to market that, you mean, the question becomes, is the absorption of the product there for it? I would like to think so, but anytime you throw a million to two million square feet onto a, a, a market that maybe Greater Victoria's quarter million to 300,000 people, can that market absorb it? So that's the right. only caveat I would say with it. Otherwise, I would say industrial as much as anyone else would, but... Expectation, this is a bonus question. I'm just adding that didn't come in through the listener, but... Expectations cap rate wise. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, you go back a few years, you're probably, you know, consistently five, five and a half. And I think now you're seeing a lot of those five and a half turns into like four and a half. So I would say between four and a half and five, which is what we call cap rate compression. Right. Which is just driving up the value of the property based on the same income. So I'm a I'm a very big believer in that market. I think you're gonna see cap rates are gonna get down into that low fours, maybe high threes, similar to what we see over here over the next decade, not overnight, but over the next decade. So if you look at it from an investment standpoint, if I'm getting, if I'm buying something at a five cap rate at a $30 a foot lease rate, 10 years pass, I'm selling it now at a four cap rate at a $60 lease rate, very hard metrics to find. And that's how you can double and triple your investments. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, without further ado, why don't we cut to our conversation with Max Sharon? Enjoy guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Alan, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so we're here with Max Chiron. He is the founder and CEO of Leading Ahead Energy. How you doing, Max? Doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Max, for all of our listeners there, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your company? Yeah, so about myself, French Canadian, moved out to Vancouver about 10 years ago, studied in sustainable business leadership and business, and it's really kind of what got me to what I'm doing today. Really wanted to find a hybrid path between sustainability and, and business. And the company I founded five years ago is Leading Ahead Energy. What we're doing is really providing a full service of EV charging infrastructure with a vendor diagnosed agnostic approach. So we're not tied to any manufacturers or vendors. We're really there to find the best solution for every client. 
We're really taking our clients from the planning phase to writing grants to helping finding the right hardware and software, as well as doing project management and supplying the charging stations if needed afterwards and doing the installation. One reason why we thought it would be a great topic to cover is what we've seen happen, you know, more so probably over the past year, maybe two years now, is when you know, potential tenants are looking into, say, open-air shopping centers. One question that comes up is, are there EV charging stations in the mall yet? And if they are, how close can we get to them? And we're also finding vendors and companies looking to acquire these type of assets that are also, again, asking, is there EV charging stations in the mall? If there is, how many are there? Is there a possibility to add more? So I think over we, we've seen a steady growth in those type of inquiries enough that I think there's a lot of people there that probably feel that this is kind of the way we're heading into the, you know, what we're looking at moving forward. What, what you know, obviously you're growing and, and expanding at a rapid pace. Who are your clients primarily? And, you know, what are they looking for from you when they call you, you know, two years out, two years, we're building a building or we're buying a strip center. How does that phone call walk us through that? Yeah, so we really have like a few different types of clients in the real estate industry. We really have two to three distinct types of clients, I would say. The first type is really the developer builder. So with them, we are working at the planning phase. We really need to start working and planning for EV charging when you get involved with the electrical engineering firm. So that's typically the best way of planning it. And a lot of people think that installing a charging station is very easy. You just put it on the wall and, 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 and you plug it somewhere. But the somewhere is the very tricky part here. The best ways to really have the electrical infrastructure in place during construction so you don't have to retrofit most of the time a brand new building because you, you know, there's been a, a lack or a, a miss in the planning to have the proper electrical infrastructure to supply enough power for the charging stations that are going to be required either during moving day or really looking further down the road and future-proofing the building of what's going to be needed 10, 15 years down the road. Wow. The, the second type of clients we have is really the um, kind of REITs, so Real Estate Investment Trust. So those clients will have many buildings across the country or multiple countries and they have a portfolio where they're really starting to bring everything to their head office and having a like a global or nationwide strategy in terms of EV charging because when it started the local property manager was mostly dealing with it and it was dealt at, at a very uh, local or per property level but now it's really trying to build into a strategy where the sustainability team is also involved just to capture all of the green gas emission that can be also put into their corporate social responsibility report but they also have goals to make sure that every single property will be equipped with a charging station by you know 2025 20, 2030 2040 depending on the company so that's that's another big driver for for us and the third? And the third would be more in the transportation space where people are going to have fleets or transportation hubs. There's a lot of charging infrastructure, especially fast chargers or level threes that can accommodate passenger vehicles, but they're not really built for light duty trucks or anything if you're pulling like holding a trailer or anything like that, you wouldn't be able to charge because the site is not designed that way or the charging stations are not fast enough. They haven't kept up with technology of the vehicle. So that's another area where we're seeing a lot of growth as well. So Max, it sounds like you're kind of covering a lot of different asset classes kind of in for buildings, right? You're, you're doing kind of a lot of different commercial types of buildings and then you're doing, it sounds like multifamily residential as well? Yeah, we're doing a lot of multifamily residential with developers for brand new buildings. Okay. Um, we're also doing condos, although it's not our primary market because condos sometimes have a lot of roadblocks with Strata Council or HOAs, depending where you live in, in the country. If you're in a Strata building, 
there's many steps that needs to be taken before engaging anyone, making sure that you have a budget, making sure you have a lot of people that are interested, because otherwise it's a lot of work that both parties can put into a project that can easily be rejected during the, uh, the AGM. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I mean, I, one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm in residential and Corey's in commercial real estate. And one of the things that strikes me is we have all these, you know, hundreds of buildings in the city of Vancouver that are now from the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, that all have to be retrofitted. And, and it sounds to me like it's not a question of if they can be retrofitted. It's more based on just how expensive it's going to be and the various solutions that they, that they have to explore before voting. Is that correct? That's correct. But you also need to have uh, some sort of a resolution to make sure that people are aligned. Right. And, and wanting to pursue, like there's enough support to pursue that type of project because it's not, it's very laborious in time. Let's just put it this way. Yeah. And there's some older buildings like building the 70s or 80s. I'm thinking about Kitsilano or East Van here, or even some in North Vancouver, where it's almost, it's not, it's never impossible to retrofit a building, but at what cost? And there's a lot of studies that shows 80% of all the charging is done at home. And that used to be true for the first wave of EV owners, if you will. Those people were wealthier. They could afford a fifty to $100,000 vehicle, no problem. And they also typically had the fortitude to charge at home, have a private garage where it's really easy to put a charging station. However, now what we're seeing is the used market is coming up because there's a lot more used EVs on the market. But also the price of new EVs has has come down quite significantly. So you can pretty much buy a, a, an electric vehicle for $35,000 after grant, which might sound a lot for a lot of people. But if you take out you know, $100 or $200 worth of gas every two weeks or every month, then the payments are, are kind of equal, if not less. Right. And those people will be relying a lot on public charging because they won't have anywhere to charge, especially in you know, kids, East Van or everywhere. There's a uh, street parking, even in other cities like Toronto, Montreal or Calgary. Right. And now, uh, yeah. Which actually is like a hurdle to people even just getting into electric vehicles. Because a lot of people that I talk to that are, are living in older buildings, I mean, that's been one of the things preventing them from pulling the trigger on, say, like a Tesla or or the variety of options out there. Yeah. And I think that the uptake in EV is quite underestimated. As soon as we put charging stations, sometimes we start with just visitor stall, which is a starting point. It's by no no mean a, and now we're talking mostly residential, like it's by no mean a future-proof solution where it's going to last the next 10 years. But as soon as there's two or three charging stations in the complex, you're seeing the adoption of EVs going tenfold just because they know that there's some point of charging available to them. Right. But then it gets overcrowded really quickly and then you get back into the same issue of, okay, where do we find power and how do we, how can we bring NEV ready plan, which the province has a really good grant on that that can be used. And it's to make sure that you go 100% of all stalls being EV ready or having a junction box or point of contact. One thing that jumped out to me, Max, when we were talking last week or the week before that was you had mentioned that there's a lot of shopping centers now that are are looking to get EV charging stations in their parking lots. Can you sort of elaborate a little bit more about that? Like, is this is this the way of the future type of thing where every center or every shopping center is just going to have multiple EV charging stations? Um, I think it's definitely the way of the future. I know we all like to shop on Amazon, I'm assuming, but everybody still goes to their shopping center once in a while, if not quite often. Grocery store, I know we can do online, but most people are still going physically there. Um, There's two levels of charging stations. So basically, there's the level two, which will provide a 240-volt 40M breaker. And for those people not familiar with the electricity, it's really the same thing as your stove or your dryer plug in your house. But that will charge... you know, newer vehicle from 7 to 12 hours, depending on the size of the battery pack. So it's really good for a top-up. Same way as, you know, during 
midday when your cell phone is 50% full, you're going to plug it in right away and get a little top up because you know that it might not last the whole day. It's kind of the same thing with an electric vehicle. You don't wait for your orange light to flash in your dashboard because you're going to run out of gas and then you just fuel up. You kind of plug it wherever you can when you stop because it's the most convenient. There's also level three charging stations where this is where we're kind of talking into decentralization of energy. And that's why there's a big push for oil and gas to go towards hydrogen because hydrogen keeps the supply chain the same, right? It needs to be produced, you need trucks, you need to bring it to a station, and then you keep all the resellers kind of the same. But with electricity, the most important piece is the real estate. And then you have access to electricity and you become an energy supplier right away, overnight. Right. And that's, I think, the most important part to understand for landowners as they can become an energy supplier overnight because they have the most valuable piece, which is the land. And if you look at what Tesla is doing is they're trying to close, you know, five, 10, 15 year lease on 10 to 20 stalls at the time because they understand that's the most valuable piece and they don't own any. So I think a lot of our listeners, I think as everyone is, very familiar with Tesla. And I unfortunately don't have an electric car, but I see these Tesla stations that are popping up in retail strip centers now. And I pass one on my way home every day. And there's got to be at least five to 10, maybe, maybe, maybe 10 to 15 is probably more accurate, Tesla parking stations outside of Fatburger that that Fatburger never had anyone in it. And now that Fatburger is lined up every day and there's 20 Teslas there. Is that kind of a strategy that you're seeing from, you mean, kind of these retailers or these strip center owners where they're trying to maybe put charging stations in areas that maybe aren't as populated by mall goers to try to increase the traffic there for those type of businesses? Yeah, definitely. That's a really big driver. Seeing the return on investment on a charging station alone at today's market rate might not make sense. It will in three to five years. But it's important to be kind of first because everybody's got a routine. If you have your gasoline car, you probably go to three to four gas station top because it's within your weekly routine unless you go on a road trip. It's the exact same thing with the electric charging station. You're going to start going to the charging hubs that you know have enough stations so you're not stranded or waiting for somebody because there's only one, one charger. And because you made a routine to go to that grocery store or, you know, your hairdresser in that is in that building or your favorite liquor store, and then you just pop in for a 20-minute fast charge, you go back and you got, you know, almost a full charge at that point. So it's definitely becoming a, an attractant to bring more people to, to your site. Can we talk a little bit, Max, about this notion of decentralization of energy? What, what do you mean by decentralization of energy? So... As I mentioned earlier, and I probably haven't explained it in enough details, is right now, if you want to be a energy or you know fuel supplier, you need million, if not billions of dollars in investment from point of extraction to pipeline or shipping through rails. And then you need to you know have the whole processing plants in place to make it into gas or diesel or LNG. And then having the charging, or not a charging station, but the pump or the fuel pump to, to deliver it to the customer. But right now, all you need is a parking lot or land and right. a small amount of capital to put a charging station in place and you're ready to go. Right. Makes sense. And how is this? Because you're, you're coming in typically at the early stages, like for new construction, you're part of the planning. It sounds like. How, how is this impacting design in commercial real estate? In commercial, it's the, the regulations are not as strict as residential. So typically, if you're in, it also varies per, from municipalities to municipalities in Metro Vancouver area, or even with the Toronto Green Standard, you need at least 10 to 20% of commercial stalls that needs to be EV ready. And what that means is not 
a charging station per se, but at least a junction box with all the wires ready to install the charging station in the future. But as you mentioned at the beginning, Corey, now it's being requested by tenants. So whenever developers are signing lease at the very beginning, they might have an electric fleet that are coming on or they want to have the possibility to offer that to clients and they understand that it's a it's an attractant to have more people on site so they're usually putting them right away if you have a lead building then the the requirements are going to be a little bit more more strict now being devil's advocate this whole thing let's say i own a small little strip center that sits on a power grid that's maxed out yeah how do i as a landlord contact you to get these EV charging stations. Is there challenges with that in maybe some smaller markets where the grids aren't as big as you might find in some of the larger markets? Yeah, typically in commercial, there's always room for a level two charger. Like that's yep. that's not a problem because it doesn't consume that much power versus the the commercial building. If you're looking into a fast charger, which is the equivalent of a gas station that's going to you know charge a, a vehicle within... 20 to 40 minutes if you have a 120 150 kilowatt another 50 kilowatt charger then you might need a new service calling bc hydro and have to spend a little bit more dollars but there's also a really good grant through clean bc go electric program that can fund the project up to 50 percent can we maybe cover that like so if if i'm a say a strip mall owner or just anyone who owns maybe multifamily or commercial real estate, what are some of the grants or incentives that the government are offering and how, how does that, should that tie into my decision-making? Uh, I'm not sure about the audience if it's really just Vancouver or Canada-wide. So, We're mostly BC, I would say. Okay. So in British Columbia, you have mix of grants. A lot is focused on the residential condo retrofit. For the commercial, you would have grants for the office as well. So you need you always need to be pre-approved. So let's say you're in office space, uh, whether you're the owner or a tenant, you can always apply. Obviously, you need the approval of the building owner if you're not to install charging stations. Uh, get a quote from a company like ours or an electrical contractor uh, just to make sure that you've done your due diligence. And then you get anywhere between $1,400 to $2,000 per level two ports. For the level three charging stations, we're talking about anywhere between fifty dollars to $80,000 per charging station. Okay, that's great. And in, in thinking about this, like it sounds to me like it's not a question of if, but a question of when everyone's going to have to convert. So are you like like right now it sounds like you're working with a lot of people to bring their commercial spaces up to up to kind of current standards for EV charging. When do you anticipate like in just thinking about this transition if I'm a if I'm a business owner or a, or a a landowner that hasn't explored this option, do you see a push in the next 1 to 3 years or 3 to 5 years like when should I be getting on top of this? We're a little biased on that. I'd say as soon as possible. Just a lot, just like a lot of realtors say, just buy now if you're thinking about true story retaining ownership <laughs> of for for a long time and not just do a quick flip. And the reason behind that is because we don't know how long the government grants are going to be lasting for. And it's not every day that you can get a fifty percent, you know, discount on a project, especially in the real estate world. And second reason why doing it sooner than later is because you will be the focus point at the beginning of of an era, for lack of a better word. Right. And I can remember or refer to when Wi-Fi started and you had their Starbucks and you know everybody with their laptops are going there and that's kind of how they increase their popularity. And then some hotels, you did not need to uh, bring a Cat5 or you know the blue cable, your Ethernet cable to plug your computer. Then all hotels and now it's everywhere and even municipalities, municipalities are offering it for free on the street. So we're seeing it the same way. It's like first come, first serve in a way that you're going to get the traction from the beginning and if you're the last one doing it it's it's not it doesn't really make a statement as a building owner it really just oh now we don't really have a choice because everybody else does it right that makes a lot of sense it's it's being kind of first to market right now 
Exactly. So what happens in the future if all of us end up on electric cars? Is there enough power or energy in the world to support that? Yeah, I mean, we're. it's funny because governments are going around the world trying to find new jobs and how we can employ more people. In BC, we're lucky enough with hydro that there's enough power. Now, if the grid will be able to take it, it's it's a different story. So in some neighborhoods, you might need to upgrade the transformers, but it's not it's not impossible to do. Like there's been much bigger projects that let's just say the country has had to go towards and, and through to to get let's say the power lines or telephone poles or anything like that. So it's just an upgrade in the infrastructure. It's by no means we're going to run out of power. So let, let's talk real estate here for a second. So I, I travel quite a bit throughout the province for work. And yeah. a lot of my travels are to and from the BC interior in Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And I don't have an electric car. I'm scared shitless. <laughs> if I had shirtless. one. Shirtless. 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 Yeah. If I had one and I'm cruising up the Coquihalla in the snow yeah. and my battery goes down to nothing. So let's talk real estate here for a second. What does the future look like? Is there gas stations that are going to have these there, which I know would be kind of almost contradicting what they're selling? Or does Corey and Adam go buy a piece of land on the outskirts of Hope and open up a car charging station with a convenience store and we make our money off the pop and candy sales? Like, What is the future of this? I know Tesla puts stations, you know, places to try to do this, but what besides Tesla – which I understand, you know, when Tesla doesn't hook up to Matt's or Adam's Porsche that he has, electric Porsche or the two, the multiple my, electric Porsche. My, right my, my yeah, gas Hummer. Hummer. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're plug-in <laughs> helicopter you take to work. So, yeah. <laughs> so, well, how does that play itself out? Is there other companies that are going to have to come to the forefront to and try to facilitate that? Is there a government that? incentive to come to the table? Exactly, uh, government charging stations. Okay, so that's a lot of questions into one. That's what we do it here, six <laughs> questions into one. We're trying to figure out our retirement here because we're both getting older and we're wondering if maybe opening up a EV car charging <laughs> station with a convenience store is where we're going to retire. If you're doing that, call me because I'll be in. <laughs> so yes, there's a shell that bought a, a software company called Greenlots okay. and they're starting to install a few charging station at their gas station. I know it's, they, they started a lot more in the UK, not so much in Canada so far, but I think they're installing a few more. Okay. Same thing with Petro Canada. They've done a pilot project and they have a across the country network. The reliability of that network is is still to be proven. And because, like you said, it's a little bit of a conflict of interest with what they're selling, which is gas. You're wondering if they're doing that on purpose or not. And I cannot answer that question because I'm not inside Petro Can. Do they take that only to a certain scale, though? Because if I'm thinking if I'm a gas producer, I'm selling Shell gas to Shell franchisees yeah. where I'm making my money versus if I put a charging station in there, I'm buying the power from BC Hydro and Correct. making a very small margin. So do they take that to scale on a very small level because they don't want to take away from gas sales? I can speak on behalf of gas stations or gas companies. Oh, go ahead. No, no, we got lots of listeners. Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just don't want to put myself into a liability position, but I I think that they're exploring it, but they're very shy. BC Hydro, though, has put out a lot of DC fast chargers over the years, um, and they've done a really good program at starting it. What I think that they then hopefully they contact me at some point. But what I hope that they're improving is they're getting up to speed with the technology in the vehicles. Okay. So I don't want to go too technical here, but the first generation of electric vehicles had a 30 kilowatt hour battery pack. When you're installing a 50 kilowatt charging station, it took 25 to 30 minutes to charge your vehicle, which was fine. But they keep they still keep installing 50 kilowatt chargers when the average battery pack today in a you know, mid-SUV vehicle with a longer range of 400 kilometers is about 75 kilowatt hour, which means that your charge has gone from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. Now, there's plenty of options to increase, and that's what Norway's done. They're almost taking 
they're taking 50 kilowatt charger out and they're replacing them with 150 to 350 kilowatts. And there's Electrify Canada, which is the only really reliable provider, which is money from the diesel gate, if you remember back in the days, a couple was 2017 from Volkswagen. So they had to install them, but they are the most reliable network in Canada right now, providing decent charge for any vehicle to charge within 20 to 40 minutes. So I'm going to say something here, and, and this could be just completely squishing my retirement plan. <laughs> Why doesn't BC Hydro go and partner with landowners and create these stations along these major highways and corridors and cities? They already do. So they've got, if you look at the, the map, they have a lot at the Superstores. Okay. Um, well, they're trying my... to do their, yeah, they're, they're trying to do their best along highways, but it's sometimes hard to find power. There's solutions around that nowadays where you can have a fast charger plugged on a one phase or a, a smaller connection. And through a battery pack, you can deliver up to 150 kilowatt in power, which is really the minimum requirement if you want to future-proof your site in terms of speed. And that's something that's really important to understand because when you have a single manufacturer or vendor coming to you and trying to sell a product, if you don't really understand the industry, they're just going to tell you, oh, it's a fast charger, charges in 20 minutes and kind of the end of the speech. But they don't explain really what the technology is becoming because sometimes they don't have the latest technology in their product line, but they still need to sell product, right? So when we're seeing public money sometimes being used with grants for technology that's already antiquated, it's it's a little bit hard to see on a for on an industry perspective. If that makes sense. Max, one one last question here before we get to our our six pack here with you. Can you maybe break <laughs> down how? landowners make money on this because if i'm a if i'm a shopping center owner and let's say i'm in vancouver and i have a parking stall that i hypothetically could get between four six or eight dollars an hour for that stall yeah why would i want to take that stall out of commission and plug in an ev charger how what does the revenue look like for landowners with respect to that yeah it, when you get that many dollars per stall you're usually on the ground somewhere downtown but if you're a little bit in the outskirts you usually Parking is free, especially in shopping malls. There's three ways that you can make money. And it's not something that you, you know, buy a piece of machinery and it's going to save you three workers and you can do an ROI very quickly and very accurate. But what I can say is the three revenue generators are, you know, you can, it's not reselling electricity because it's so far illegal, but you can sell time. So whenever somebody plugs in, you can charge per minute or per hour. So that's that's a revenue generator. The other one is data because it's connected to an app. People need to create an account just like pay by phone. But instead of initiating char uh, parking, you're initiating charging. It provides a lot of data. And in 2020, big data has, for the first time in history, surpassed the revenue generated over oil and gas industry around the world. So that's not something to take lightly. And that's also why a lot of companies are trying to get their own charging solution in other people's real estate with really restrictive exclusivity clause, yeah. which can sometimes be overlooked. So if the lane owner wants to put their own charging station later on, they can't if they sign a 15-year lease deal. And that has a huge, huge impact on the ability to put their own infrastructure in the short or long term. This sounds like a future Mark Zuckerberg acquisition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the third part is really bringing more people to site, you know, making your land more valuable because there's more traffic and getting more, more anchor tenants. And, yeah. I know you guys are talking a lot about anchor tenants when you're looking into investing in commercial real estate. And that would be a big piece of it. Right. I didn't think of the big da data component. That makes a lot of sense, though. That's uh, that's fascinating. Well, maybe uh, we'll we'll get to the six pack here if you have time for that, uh, Max. Always. 
The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right, Matt, I'll, I'll give you an easy one to start you off here. Favorite movie or TV show? Oh, I heard you steal it, Corey, in the last episode. All right. Suits, all right. hands oh. down. Suits, suits. <laughs> Man, I'm starting great. to see like a trend in commercial real estate. Yeah. So Still haven't watched it. Suits is, uh, you know, it, it's it's yeah. a cult following, my friend. Like I'd say Suits and uh, Drivers to Survive. I'm pretty good F1 fan, but now with uh, Formula E is coming up pretty quick as well. So I got I gotta two say, sports to follow. The F1 fan, the audience has grown so insanely fast for uh, for F1. Does that seem like the case? I, I, I feel like a lot of people I know that never had ever watched F1 now are watching it. Does it seem like it's growing? Is I, that I, Net, I, Netflix maybe yeah, I and watched, like I documentaries? Read a, and, I read an article that was called the Netflix effect and they were right. showing one race that I guess traditionally has, this is still a lot of people, like 200 or 250,000 spectators. Yeah. And this yeah. year, in the middle of the pandemic still, they had 400,000 spectators. It was called the Netflix wow. effect. And yeah. wow. I've read stuff that the PGA Tour is now in negotiations with Netflix to, to do this similar type wow. thing. So, you mean, it's amazingly. I've, I've, I haven't watched the series because I'm still watching my suits probably for the 50th right. time, it feels like. <laughs> but, no, I, I do hear that. Guys, I've, I talk You've to always that. been more of a NASCAR guy yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, much more. You know what? I'm actually going to go. I'm actually more of like a, a Vancouver indie type of guy. You know, I'm, I'm stuck in the indie era there still. <laughs> okay, number two, Max. What is your favorite band or song? Uh, it's so hard. I don't. I can't answer that question. If you say Nickelback, I, we're going to have a bromance here. <laughs> I mean, that's just cliche, but um, <laughs> I don't have a favorite band or song. I think that I just, I just have a feel for everything. I'm not a huge fan of opera, but I can easy listen to like classical music on them. Way on the way home, while you had a really long day, and you don't, you know, you just feel you're like, like a Spotify listener. You listen based on oh, yeah. mood. Yeah, exactly. Like ah. you're going to, like, yeah, yeah, that'd be me. And then, but then you can have your good old hip hop and rap song. So it it, it, it really varies from one end. Well, to let, let's go down that rabbit hole well, there if, for a if second. You have hip hop and rap, yeah, hip hop and rap. Who firmly who, plants you in the yeah, commercial who world. In, who are you listening to in the hip hop rap? <laughs> rap game now, I guess, because one thing we have is a lot of people that come on this show that are successful in their field of commercial real estate has Coolio on their playlist. No, or that's, to, that, Coolio's not true. All right. Well, I, I was trying to make it. I was trying to, you know, this is, maybe we have some families listening. Who knows? What gangster rapper are you listening to? I, I was going to say, unfortunately, I will not fall into that trend. I might just break the trend right there because uh, it is not in my in my la- in my playlist. Okay. All right, all right. Well, I, I will have to say, some days, and I I, I have no problem saying this out loud. I'll uh, turn the turn the uh, the uh, the music Leo? up, listening to a little bit of Josh Groban on the way home or Andrea Bocelli. So I have no problem saying that. No, no one's looking to Corey for music advice. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm still stuck in the early 2000s when I, you know, in the high school and college thing that you just oh get memories and you can sing out loud because the new ones you don't really have time well, to learn the lyrics because you're so busy at work. Adam yeah. and Matt, when I came in this morning, we're singing Barbie Girl. Yeah, that's that's yeah, we're is, still is that, the, is that we're kind still of the same the era because they had Barbie Girl in 98 <laughs> degrees. All right, next next question: a quote that you choose to live by or inspires you. I can't remember who said that, and I don't even know if it's a quote, but I know it's kind of well known. And it's just live your life as if you're writing a book. Ah. So a lot of people, and that's my own personal take on this, is there is like obviously you need in you know entertainment, but I feel like society sometimes is falling too much into TV shows and watching other people living their lives, wishing they could do the same, but they're not willing to get off the couch and take the pain and do the proper work to make their life what they're looking at through a TV screen. 
Yeah, that's that's a great one. That's yeah. Take action. My book would yeah. suck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh come on, Corey. <laughs> yeah, you ever seen the Robert Munch book where the guy's in the snowsuit <laughs> has to pee? That's my life. <laughs> All right. What is uh, one restaurant? Your favorite restaurant or bar? In town, Burgoo. Burgoo. Yeah. Oh, ah, nice. That. that was a quick response. That's a, that's yeah. a that's a great one. We haven't had that on the show before. Well, it's because we never have this question because I stole it from you guys. <laughs> a book you'd recommend our listeners and doesn't necessarily have to be a real estate book. I've got, oh my God, I've got three in three different areas, let's say. Sure. One is extreme ownership. And I've been in the military. Jacko. For, yeah, we had that yeah, one before. For, for that was good. Jocko. And, yeah. I, and I really resonate to that because it's, Another thing when you like about society, when it's a lot easier to just blame on other people when something goes wrong on your failures instead of just looking internally and taking accountability and responsibility for it and fixing it in the future. So I, I, I really like like that one for, for, for accountability or just if anybody's got a purpose or an objective, that's, you know, it's always looking into what can I do to get there instead of blaming other people for my misfortunes. Um, the Golden Spruce. I love that book. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, we've had. I think we've had that on on our sister show. But yeah, no. go ahead. Yeah, that, that's like, that's the the, the like lower you, ranking. You learn show. in school about history, and I feel like I'm learning way more about history through like stories of, uh, within books that have been written, especially around DC. And it's 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 a good book about, I guess colonization of British Columbia versus deforestation and how everything came to what we know of today. All right, Max, final question for you. A piece of advice you would give our listeners, maybe let's tailor it to your industry. Let's say, for example, someone who owns a piece of land and they want to get into the car charging business. What's a piece of advice you'd give them? Find an EV charging infrastructure expert to work with, whether it's us or somebody else. Dealing with one vendor will limit options and will not future-proof any of the the sites that you have because no sites are the same and there's no one solution fit all. So, and that's why we're remaining agnostic because we know that technology is evolving very quickly. And it's not because one brand is the best today that it's going to be the same in a year or two from now, or that they can offer a variety of product line to fit every single building that you have. That's fantastic, uh, fantastic advice. And the other thing is, is I know you guys work a lot with the grants. So, I mean, just even to help navigate that component piece as well, I, I think is invaluable for for business owners and for landowners. So we appreciate your time today, Max. Thanks for taking the time. And how can people find out more about what you're up to and of course more about leading ahead energy uh well you can always go on our website there's a really nice little video of me explaining what we do in a nutshell so leadingaheadenergy.com all together otherwise you can find me on linkedin at maxim Sharon. i'm not going to spell it out but i'm sure that people can go on the show you can put in the in the notes yep and uh just i'm really old school just give me a shout phone number is on, is online as well fantastic well, thank you so much, Max. We really appreciate your time today and sort of unfolding a little bit more about how the uh, the future of the car charging world is going to look like. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was a, it was a good time. And uh, yeah, if anybody's got a question about charging station or uh, new developments, we'll be, we'll be more than happy to help them out. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Max. Take care. All right, there you have it. Our interview with Max, CEO of Leading Ahead Energy. I was really impressed to how he unpacked it, how yeah. much he did. And I didn't realize there were so many facets to the electric car charging yeah. business. You know, and, and the data collection is also super valuable as well. It's something I would have never considered. The grants, it's it's like, I feel like it's this moment right now in uh, electric vehicles where as a landowner, you can benefit not only from the the grants out there, but obviously the spinoff business, yeah. which we kind of covered. If I was someone looking to upgrade to EV chargers, it seems like a no-brainer right now, at least. And you can see it's going to go away at some point, right? The value add. Yeah. Well, I think right now, too, like I said, you mean, like, look at the Tesla. 
CEO, right? You mean that stock has just gone Never through the roof? Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's <laughs> quite, seems like quite the character. You mean that stock's gone through the roof because obviously their sales are going up and up and up and they're not the only one making car chargers or electric cars now. It seems like everyone's doing it. Right. Right. Like I know you have that electric Porsche downstairs. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah do multiple yeah, colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you know, everyone's into that business now that I think there's a lot of valuable, you know, a lot of value there from a landlord perspective, which we talk a little bit about and, and how you can probably drive additional revenue to areas that otherwise maybe wouldn't see it. And who saw that Tesla stock doing what it did the last last two weeks here? This is just crazy times. But um, I, mean, I remember when it was like a hundred and something, and I'm like, oh, that might be attractive. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And I just like <laughs> my retirement just like swam away on me right there. <laughs> yeah. What else have we got, Corey? Before we cut for the day, anything you're excited about? Market still lagging inventory, I would expect. Yeah, it's just an ongoing issue. You yeah, mean, lack of inventory. And really, really cheap money in the marketplace. I mean, believe it or not, a lot of optimism on the retail side of it. We talked about that a few times on the show. And yeah, just like spaces that, you mean, maybe even pre-pandemic that weren't getting the attention on them that are getting the attention right now. Yeah. So there's a lot of optimism in that business. And I think, you know, even Nolan last episode really, you know, really unpacked it really, really well there. And, and downtown, I think it's going to be back to where it was and then some. I think yeah. even you notice in the traffic out there like it on feels the daylight. Better day. Yeah. Now. It you, feels better downtown now. You walk better. by patios, they're full. People are back in the shopping centers. So yeah. You mean? I, I'm hyper aware because we talk about this all the time about just the state of downtown and yeah. you know the always this this notion. I mean it was, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic where we gave a talk at an investor seminar where the whole theme was bet on downtown, you know, yeah. like just, yeah. this is the time to bet on downtown. You buy downtown when the office buildings are vacant, when uh, nobody wants to be in dense areas and it doesn't quite have its shine, right? But yeah. you're already seeing that come back. Yeah. And and I was downtown, I was in Yaletown yesterday walking around going, you know, it feels good. It feels good down here. It doesn't feel how it did kind of yeah. You know, call it June of 2020, right? It was probably one of the lowest, uh, lower points, right? Yeah. Optimism's in the air. Yeah. I think, you know I mean? Like the Canucks back and concerts back and that's going to give an injection to the restaurant business and just sort of bring that atmosphere back to downtown totally. a little bit here. And then I think as the offices over the next, you know, I think 2022 will be a big year for a lot of people returning to the offices, maybe on a rotating basis, but at least back in. Yeah. That coupled with events and all that stuff taking place, I think we're going to slowly start to feel that Vancouver is coming back to Vancouver. I got to say, just even driving downtown the other day, the night that the Canucks had their OT win, yeah, bunch of people out in jerseys, walking yeah. around, going for drinks, going, you know, going to restaurants, and it felt like it's crazy how good that feels to it's, be in that kind of environment well, I'll, I'll, again. I'll be honest with you, totally full transparency here. So we have a, we do Canuck nights for our, our brokers, yeah, and uh, usually pre-pandemic we'd go buy tickets for two or three or four games, right. And we'd have no problem filling them. So this year, instead of going and buying a whole bunch of games, I thought, hey, let's just do one game, which is tonight's game, you know, Friday, November 5th, Nashville Predators, just to put a date stamp on it. Yeah. And I thought, well, we could buy 10 tickets and see how it goes. And we were flooded with inquiries. And wow. I can tell you, even this morning in the office, people talking about the hockey game, excited about the hockey game. And I, I think it's, I mean, I don't want to, you know, jump off the bandwagon for the Canucks there, but... I think now the fact that people can go back and do stuff like this, people get excited again. We almost took the Canucks for granted before that, that, you know, obviously we're not, you know, a championship team here yet, but you mean, people kind of took that for granted. Now people are excited again, lots of jerseys out there, people in restaurants. So slowly but surely we're making our way back. I'm uh, also going to just also highlight that I'm super excited for the Christmas parties this year. I feel like one specifically. That is the James Bond themed Christmas uh, Will, party. William Wright, the William uh, Wright Christmas party. I, I, I'm ex- I'm excited. Well, uh, I've got my uh, my Doctor Evil costume. Uh, so. <laughs> well, when you and Matt confirmed, I had to call the hotel we we're having at it and increase the drink tickets. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, that's here a they true come. Story. Yeah, that's, here they come. I've been doing I've been doing a dry November, but I I will take a night off for the. Uh, so you're the you're William just saving Wright. it now. I, I'm saving it. Okay. I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be the. Uh, the guy being carried out. We'll make and, sure we put lots of bread on the buffet there for you. Yeah. To absorb all the, the <laughs> yeah. dark beer going down. You have to limit my drink tickets. But <laughs> uh, no, super excited for that. Corey, anything else before we cut to, for the day? Like uh, how we can get in touch with the folks over at William Wright? People can reach out to us at our Vancouver office anytime. 604-428-5255. Happy to help out any real estate, commercial real estate capacity we can. They can visit our website at williamwright.ca. 
or they're always welcome to drop me an email at corey at williamwright.ca anytime. I do apologize is I am not the fastest on replies as of late, but I will definitely get back to them. Anyone that emails them and we get lots of calls at the office. We're helping lots of people get into commercial real estate, whether it be first-time buyers or even tenants looking to enter the marketplace. So it's, it's been a really, really great scenario to really be able to educate a lot of people. Fantastic. We'll, we'll leave it there for today. But yeah, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you back here next week. We will. Thanks, guys. Subscribe today.